ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Top 8 Magic, the longest running magic podcast. I'm Brian David Marshall, and I am joined this week by Magic the Gathering Hall of Famer Zvi Moshowitz. Zvi, how are you uh, holding up these days? Holding up pretty well. Definitely getting stir crazy, but <laughs> that's to be expected. Well, fortunately, we have a whole lot of magic stuff to talk about since last we met. Uh, mo- like, so the last time we talked, we talked about the companions and what was Wizards going to do regarding the companion mechanic. And uh, I think we covered a lot of different potential options and Wizards found something that, that never even really occurred to us, which is to create a game action where companions require you to pay three colorless mana or three mana to put your companion into your hand. Yeah, it didn't even brush my mind that we would introduce a new unique game action to tax companions, right, to make it fair. Um, So my initial reaction to that was pleasantly surprised in the sense that it seems like it should, in fact, cut them down to size and make it reasonable to not play a companion. Like, it's still strictly better to have a companion than not have a companion if you don't care about the requirements. Right. So in that sense, I'm sad, but... It's certainly a lot less attractive. Um, I'm certainly sad about the whole, like, I'm playing an older format and I get my companion for free dynamic. So forever, right, these decks that will basically get Alluris had to get banned. You had to ban Alluris anyway, because, like, even with three extra mana, <laughs> it's still a free action. And there's still going to be a lot of decks that, like, get a Lutri out of their sideboard every now and then, because why not? Sometimes a 3-3 is better than nothing. You know, or something like that. And I don't love that that's sort of been... That will now tarnish my game forever. In some important sense. Sure. Uh, you know, but... In terms of the impact it has on an effective game... You know, paying three mana extra is a, is a big deal in, in today's game that's very tempo-based. So... Yeah, it looks like they're going to be mostly fine. Is my what, what do you think this means for standard in the immediate future i know you're playing in the players tour event this weekend what do you how often do you expect you will come up against a deck with a companion in the course of that event i expect it to be rare i do not think that many people are willing to undergo the sacrifices to get companions there are a few decks where it would make sense so it's worth noting also that fires of invention because it gives you a lot of square mana, uh, makes the companion cost a lot easier. So banning fires alongside it mm. is another way of making this tax actually hurt. Right. We're, we're right. In in addition to that, right, fires of invention and uh, agent of treachery were both banned in standard. Right. I would be happy to play the old fires deck and still have my companion and pay three for it because I'm not really paying five for it all that often. Sure. And I'm not paying five for my other five drop that turn. So I'm basically just paying three mana that was going to pump my Cavalier Flame or something. 
hey, that's not that big a deal. I'll find the three mana somewhere. It's fine. So if there's a minor setback there, other places it's a much bigger setback. A Lurus deck that has to stop to pay three mana, it's a big deal. An Obosh deck, it's a big deal. Do you think Fires died for companion sins here? You know, in other I words, mean, it, I, I mean, you can't you can't leave companion, make the stranger companion, and leave fires in the format. It, it's it's going to not be um, certainly like Yorian fires as an example is not a deck that would have changed much then. Correct. You can ban agent of treachery. You can add the three man attacks. I'll figure out how to build that deck anyway, and it'll still be very good. Uh, but if you ban fires, now I have to think different. Right? I can't do that same strategy the same way anymore. I think it's one of those cases where it was like Al Capone. It got caught for tax evasion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, that's interesting. Um, what now, to me, it feels like if I was going to try to build a new deck, which probably not going to do the week before a major players tour event, right? Like there's still plenty of options out there of what you can play and know that they will work. But it, it feels to me like the like Simic Elementals decks could easily become a Yorian deck and barely feel that tax where getting to eight mana is tr almost trivial for that deck. And to be able to do it as just like this one turn, reset my Cavaliers and my Risen Reefs and whatever else and get some Omnath triggers and, oh, wow. You know, uh, it feels like it feels like there's still very much the possibility of a deck there. I feel like I feel like the requirement to, to really be able to comfortably play a companion is to be able to do it all as one sort of collective action. Right, pay three and pay my and play my companion. Yeah, I not I don't think that deck gets enough benefit. Uh, I think the deck really misses fires of invention, in sure. particular, even more than the three mana cost to Yorian. And also, it's always worth keeping in mind when things get banned and things get worse. You have to look at the decks that are still intact, that like that survived without any changes, and ask yourself, can I handle those decks? right? Because before I wasn't a good deck. Was it because of something that's no longer there? Or was it because I just wasn't generically as good as better stuff? Right. And in this case, right, I think everybody agrees the default best deck is now Wilderness Reclamation. Right. So if there's a one deck to beat this weekend, it's going to be Wilderness Reclamation, you know, Expansion Explosion, all that jazz in some form. And then you have a bunch of people playing Teferi to try and beat it, as you do. Right. And you know, maybe some Cynic Flash decks to try and beat it as you do. And the food decks are clearly making a comeback from the recent results. And my green decks survived. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you know, red decks have gone back to their old selves and are showing up. Well, here, here's something. We were talking about this in our sort of group chat the other day. The, the red deck may be the deck that benefits the most from these changes because people are forced to build their red decks with even casting cost cards now again. <laughs> like almost like the 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 Obosh red decks that we were seeing, you know, couldn't didn't have access to uh Torbran and, and Embercleave. 
Yeah, I don't want to knock the Obosh red builds, right? Like the 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 Herald into Obosh, and now everything has plus one plus zero and double strike effectively. Oh, banner, yeah. Right, like every every satyr attacks for four off of your Ajax. Like that's a pretty sweet thing to do. Right, and having an extra card so you have something to do on five mana when before you had nothing is a big deal. And I do think it was better in some abstract sense. Right, it went out for a reason over the old red deck, but it's definitely much more predictable and much less scary in the moment than the old <laughs> red deck. Right, when they play Steamkins and Torbens. And just try and, and, you know, Embercleaves and just try and kill you on turn four and just try to have explosive amounts of damage. Suddenly, you know, every game you play against Red, you should be kind of terrified, even if it seems to be going really well. It's just that your fears don't manifest that often. And the Red deck loses more often than it wins. (laughs) But it's still really frustrating. And the scourge of the best of one crowd, you know, Q for all time. That this deck keeps happening. And I'm definitely somewhat sad for the change, even though I think my deck is fine against the new, you know, both builds. But I certainly think my matchup got worse uh, as a green player because the red deck was forced to become a different deck. Right. You know, they so, can suddenly, you know, before I had everything under control in some important sense, right? I knew what I had to do and I could just do it. And now they can just kill you out of nowhere. Right. Much more which is much scarier to you than I'm going to grind you out with this weird mid-rangey strategy on top of my red start. Sure, right. So the, so the important difference is that out of the Obosh deck, you never had to fear an Embercleave. Whether, whether or not the Embercleave was, made the deck better, you just, you just knew that that was not something you ever needed to play around, and there were certain windows where you could quote-unquote relax. Where right. playing against right. another red deck, you, you have to play differently out of fear of an Embercleave. There was a period where the red decks for a while had Embercleave as legal and didn't play it. And I don't think people were making a mistake. I think that the cards that got printed made Embercleave better for red, right? Ajax in particular. But it's not obviously great. It's not obvious how many copies you should have. I mean, not zero, definitely. But it definitely makes it much more frustrating to play against the deck because there are games when Embercleave does nothing or doesn't do much to favor your, to favor your strategy. And there are other times when you're like, well, he doesn't have Embercleave. I can't lose this game. It's not over for a few turns, but I cannot actually lose this game to any other cards that this deck could plausibly play. Like, no matter what happens. But if, he, but if there's an Embercleave involved, I don't know how I win. And those games are incredibly frustrating. From both sides, actually. The side that's like, well, if the Embercleave shows up on top of my deck, I win the game has to plan to make sure there's a maximum number of turns in which they can draw Embercleave, and the other side tries to minimize those turns. But that's not the magic I want to play, for the most part, right? where everything else is kind of a sideshow. <laughs> and I played my share of Embercleave decks, where I really we didn't Embercleave, but that's even more true. And yeah, the, the timing is weird, right? We have, they just banned two important cards, changed the entire central mechanic of the format, Simultaneously are spoiled in the next set, and suddenly there is a pro tour this weekend. <laughs> How bizarre is that? So, as a Hall of Famer, you're eligible to play this weekend, and you're you're going to, right? Yes. So I, I've given four, you know, four choices. So essentially, I could choose 
get up at 3 a.m. to try and get what's probably an easier distribution to opponents was option A. Option B, get up at a normal hour and play at noon, which is the option I've chosen on the first week. Option C is to wait till week two. So week two, let's the format settle a bit. People have you know more refined, better decks, but you also have more time to prepare. Whereas playing week one means people basically just have to run whatever they have with not much time to prepare. And so I didn't answer my question, do I want to prepare? Right? Do I want to test new decks? And my answer was, no. I don't particularly want to try and do that in time. Right? I have some ideas for things that were clearly dominated before and might not be dominated anymore. And now maybe there's a chance to shine. And I think they're cool. But the chance they are good enough that it's worth running them into a pro tour with a few days worth of knowledge without them being refined first. I think it's pretty low. Right. You you had a Luca deck pretty early that you thought was very interesting. Uh, that that looks very different from what we think of it. when I say Luca deck and standard. You think of something very different right now than what you had originally envisioned for the card. Yeah, I was trying to use a different companion, Zerda, and Zerda was basically just on hand as an extra creature to sacrifice to Luca in case you didn't have one. More than it, you know, for the most part, more than it was trying to do much otherwise. I mean, you, there were things you could do with it by casting it, but it was, like, not the big, not the biggest deal. And I learned that you just can't do that in the companion world, right? The deck just wasn't good enough against other companion decks that were leaning on their companions. But now you're free to not run a companion or to get creative. And I think there's a lot of room to do things. One of those things is, in fact, to run Luca off of two drops, right? To run a green deck. And the idea is I can get Luca out as early as turn three and activate and get a giant creature, and then get a second giant creature next turn, which is a lock on the game. Beats basically everything. Right. But I don't have to, right? I can also do any number of other things, right? My deck is not dependent on it. Like, the Luka decks that were Yorian, the, the Yorian Luka decks were very much a, if I don't have a Luka, I'm going to stall for time until I find Luka as right. my B plan, right? For Narsets, et cetera, just, just keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. Whereas my plan was, no, I'm playing a standard green, like ramp into big thing, ramp into relatively powerful things with lots and lots of different ways to win. And one of those ways happens to be a Luka, which also can plus one usefully, right. which yeah, these Lukas can't. Right? There's nothing wrong with plus one a Luka. <laughs> yeah, if, if you can, you should do it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of room for it. Two drops actually get very interesting. You can play Hydras. Right, which which don't which don't interfere with the sacrifice process because they're technically two drops from the deck. So you get Hydroid Crisis, you potentially get Gracious Hydra, you get oh. Grove Shaped Guardian, Incubation Druid. A lot of ways that you can go large while technically playing two drops that let you then sacrifice all of those two drops when you want to go get your big creature, which is going to be uh, you know four runners. Was my plan. Okay. The deal was you just spam you you, you spam the board of creatures and then you get to attack with everything, including your gilded geese and your arboreal grazers, because you want to do this on turn three. Right. So now you have like a very interesting set of cards that potentially do a lot of interesting things. Like sometimes you play turn three Nissa, and like I played turn three Nissa in a deck with Hydro Crisis, so I'm probably gonna win this game. Regardless <laughs> yeah. of Luca showing up or not, and, and other similar options. Because again, 
if you put a five drop creature, that would interfere with Luca. You play a five drop planeswalker instead. And then if I untap, maybe I drop a set, maybe I drop a seven seven with, with some bonus points, right? Like now that I have, you know, all my mana counts double. And, and then the Twilands, Nissa got better, right? We didn't even notice because there were so many other things going on. But Nissa just packs a much bigger punch than it used to, because you can play dual lands that count as forests much more than you could before. Oh. Right? So now you can play a three-car deck and you can play 12 dual lands that count as forests minimum. Right? More if you don't care exactly how many tap lands you have and how many of them produce both of your other colors and so on. But you can go pretty deep in terms of this Nissa always just does your job. So that's one place I want to go. But again, am I going to make that deck get to a place I want it to get, especially against a Wilderness Reclamation deck that really punishes you for messing around in time for this weekend? And my answer very quickly was no. No. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time. I haven't even played the first game yet. I haven't built it. I, I hope to at some point this week if I have time for it. But when I have a deck that's ready to go right now, it's turnkey, why not run it? So I made the decision the moment I saw the results of the tournament over the weekend, where there was a you know, reasonably significant tournament, and the green deck card for card came in second place. Okay, so this is this is the, the deck list we shared in the last podcast, or maybe it was two podcasts ago, I don't remember, but we talked about this is your, your sort of stomp, standard stompy deck. Yeah, I, I wrote a deck pack and posted it. And the guy just posted, like, thank you for the deck deck. Deck is great. That makes sense to me. I look at the top eight. It's full of food. It's full of order circulation. And those are matchups I'm happy to play all day. Food decks are not an issue. They basically don't have much in the way of defense other than blocking with cats for a while. They're, like, slowly itching out advantage while they try to establish their board. And that's not really going to cut it. Against what I'm doing. I have a bunch of trample. I have a bunch of ways to kill their ovens. I have a bunch of ways to just flood with too many attackers and like go ahead, block one of them. So it's just not very scary, right? They're just not something I have to worry about. And Wilderness Reclamation has its worst. I am Wilderness Reclamation's worst nightmare. Basically, nothing they do matters very much, especially on the draw. They have to just go off and they are too slow. So what uh, what are what new things have been unlocked by these bannings that you worry about with this deck? Like if you're going to play the green deck, what are what are the matchups that that really worry you? So one that you worry about is people who used to have 80 cards as 60 cards, and now their deck is better. <laughs> right, they're playing the same deck, right? But they took out all the weird cards that would see. They were like a little slow. And they're playing better cards. Like this morning, I was playing a practice match. I played against a Bant deck. Last week, that deck would have been 20 more cards and played a bunch of much clunkier cards in it. And now it had 60 cards. <laughs> and a much better chance of drawing these glass caskets and aether gusts and yeah. shattered the skies. Right. The, the skies fairy. shattered much more regularly against the 60-card version, huh? Yeah, basically, they were back to playing fair instead of having one hand tied behind their back. And I don't mind the matchup. Right? The matchup is still fine. Right. Uh, but it was noticeable that, yeah, things did kind of get harder because the long game is still there, right, given what I'm doing. Not quite as reliably, but it's still pretty much theirs. 
know, like the, the design originally was let's go under all of these people, right? Unless they're trying to go under everyone else too, we can't go over them. And now the people who were trying to go over each other before potentially in a much are potentially fighting each other much less and can fight back somewhat more. But the deck is just sort of a natural build. There's no reason to change it. It just works pretty well anyway. So I feel pretty solid about his chances. You know, definitely the 80 card decks that became 60 decks improved and the red deck seems to be better in the new version against me. But there are a lot of other decks that just got worse. And also the, uh, the Luka decks themselves was not a great, it was, it was fine. I didn't mind playing it. I'd rather be my side, I think. But definitely I, I think I would, I, having played your deck a bunch, I think I would generally prefer to be on our side than on the Lucas side. Yeah, but it was, but it was a tough matchup. It's not that easy. Like it's right. definitely they go first. I've actually after board, it's really it's really tough. Yeah, you know, but you go first, it's really tough for them. So yeah. it's what you'd expect. I, I also had a lot of problems playing the green deck against uh, elemental decks. Yeah, I played it a few times. I sometimes they just do absurdly power absurdly powerful things, often yeah. involving fires, or they just happen to chain really powerful things. But I've also found the giant groves are really good. Like they try to set up combat and then you just win them. <laughs> and also sometimes you just get a bunch of removal spells and just like start having the questing piece just start throwing out doom blades at things. You know. Um, also sometimes you just like make a 7-7 seven, seven and you start ramming through things and you know maybe giant grubbing at first you have a lot of tools right right they are playing more powerful cards in some sense if you just like everyone gets to cast everything sometimes they win but be fine so so what what's a uh i mean maybe and maybe you don't want to give this advice but if someone's going to be playing that deck this weekend in any of the the player stores events like what's a what what's something that you need to know about playing with the deck? Mug it a lot. More <laughs> okay. than you think is the most important thing, right? The most important, the biggest mistake you make is you see a one lander, you see a hand with no early drops, and you think, well, this can work. It'll be okay. You know, the hand doesn't do anything, or just relying on something happening and undervaluing the six card hand. Because a lot of the time, your six-card hand is going to be fine. If you have three lands and three spells, one of which is a three or four, you know, a questing, a beast of some kind, right? Questing yeah. beast or monarch beast. Uh, that hand is better than the bad sevens by a lot. So is not having a big card and having two lands. With almost any distribution of cards. Right. Better than the one drop, than the hands of the hearts of one land. Better than the hand of no two drop, where you play a one drop and then you, then you pass or grind growth on turn two. Like those hands are atrociously bad if you don't get them. It's, it's interesting. So th this feels like the fact that this deck, not not that it wants to mulligan, but needs to, you know, should be uh, aggressively mulliganing to its best hands. Does that benefit from companion leaving the format where a lot of times you are up against an eight card hand and, you know, you're like, well, I want to mulligan. I want to make sure I have my best starting set you know starting sometimes at six and your opponent starting at eight or seven where you're going seven or six like is closing that gap a big benefit for this deck 
Interestingly, kind of no. It oh. depends on the matchup. So sort of the way it worked was there's, I believe, the Patrick Sullivan school of card advantage, which is I'm up four cards because they're in your hand and you're dead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so the idea was you start with eight cards, but if the game ends on turn four or five, right. you're never going to play half your hand. And I can play all my cards. So if the game ends on that point and I start with six, but my hand is now empty. I still won the game. So there are a lot of games in this deck where you end with no hand or a one or two card hand and they end with a five card hand. Right. But you won because they didn't have a chance to play their cards. So when they said, I'm going to make my deck slower slash worse in order to get another card in my hand, you kind of chuckle in some sense. <laughs> and alternatively, there were decks that sort of thought they could grind because they had their companion. And then especially after board, they just couldn't. Or you have all these blurred stacks and these obosh decks that are trying to maintain a lot of power over a longer period of time, and you just killed their companion when it came into play of a removal spell out of your board, and then they just didn't have very much that mattered, right? Because they're counting on their companion to make their cards good in an important sense, and now they can't do that. So, so it's so it's a reverse. Still had all these. You still yeah, had you all still these. had all these. Yeah, right, exactly. And they go better even a little bit. So, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's All weird right. to have the, you know, yeah, the, the look my empty handed, right? <laughs> right. Right. What, uh, so what, what is, for someone who's not familiar with the deck, what is like a, you know, very, not necessarily a nut draw, killing them as soon as possible, but what does a, a you know, an excellent turn sequence look like for the deck? So basically, you want to go one drop, two drop. Three mana spent on stuff, four mana, you know, and then three or four mana spent on stuff. And as long as you do that, you are a very powerful deck. So on turn one, you know, depending on the, the plan for the rest of the game, you either want to make a Love Struck Beast human token or play a Pelt Collector. Failing that, you can always play a 1 1 uh, Stone Coil Serpent. That's fine. It's, you just need to get a creature out there. So, also, and also ginger, ginger brute's a possibility. Yeah. Ginger brute is sort of the last, your last option. Like you want to hold the ginger brute back because the haste is only one point of damage on turn one and can save your entire game later. Like if you play ginger brute and then immediately turn into a four four, you attack for four. If you play ginger brute and attack alongside a surferon, you attack for three. If you play it and then giant growth them a bunch of times, they might just die, especially <laughs> right after a shadow the sky. So you really want to hold your gingerbread back. Also, they played Teferi on turn three and leave an empty board, and they think they're taking control of the game, and then you just play a gingerbread and another creature, and you kill the Teferi for free, and they haven't actually gotten far ahead. So there's a lot of reasons you don't want to play that gingerbread unless you have nothing else, but it's important that you have these, you know, lots and lots of different ways to handle the turn one. Then on turn two, you want to play either two more of these things that aren't Stone Coil Serpent, a Stone Coil Serpent for two, which is your backup plan, or if you're planning to make it into 6-6 six, six next turn, sometimes it's your A plan. Or better, you just play a Surferon or Bark Hydral, right? So you just get one of these creatures out there. Turn three, you smash face, and you play either a 5-5 five, five or just more stuff. And then turn four, you play Questing Beast and or kill them. <laughs> but... 
UNIC has a surprisingly large amount of power that it can generate very quickly, and it can use the giant growths and titanic growths to punch through. So you can handle a lot of things. Like if you draw four or five lands, you can often end up playing a bunch of four fours and five fives and overpowering people that way. If you draw a small number of lands, you can just flood them with the Y. Right. Right. What, uh, what, are, what are your predictions for composition of top eight? from either of these first two events? My guess is that there will be very little in the form of like true innovation in terms of new strategies because of the time involved, right? There hadn't been enough cycles for people to find the new decks that weren't quite good enough but are suddenly good enough now. I think it'll be a battle of the decks we member, right? You member Simic Flash, you member Wilderness Reclamation, you member Red, you member Food, Right, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my guess is that we'll look at, you know, an average of two wilderness reclamation decks in the top eights, an average of like one to two, you know, maybe two pure aggro decks of various types. I think there'll be some reds and there'll be red and green are both competitive, somewhat competitive. A black deck is probably still somewhat competitive of some type. Uh, there are people who claim that white is good. I'll believe it when I actually see it. Me meaning the, the white aggro decks? Yeah. So that's like, that, those are the decks that are, you know, going Healer's Hawk into a Johnny's uh, whatever, a Johnny's Pride Mate kind of things. Like they're, they're like, soul, you know, standard Soul Sisters variants. Yeah, I, I've seen claims that there's some sort of white aggro deck that's good. I continue to disbelieve. I have yet to actually face one that was plausibly good. I've also, I mean, I've also faced an All the Glitters deck that used Luris, so it got weakened substantially. That, you know, that was one of those Matrix moments of, holy, that, that thing's real. Right? I, I, faced it that, I faced it in the arena open. I rolled over it. That was just a turn faster than anything relevant happening on the other side, as far as I know, at least one turn. And then I thought I had just gotten a buy and they wanted the arena open. And then later I found out that one of my friends like, was like, 7-0 with all the glitters deck. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no that that deck can uh, can be really scary if you uh, if they get any amount of time to set up, and by any amount of time, I'm only talking a couple of turns, right? But you know, it, it's it's it it can get very big very fast, and they have a lot of ways to uh, counter your interaction. So yeah, it, it, kind of it's a really interesting deck. Yeah, those kind of decks like turn the corner. All of a sudden, and the get goes from "I have nothing" to "You can't win." Right. And if you interrupt that process and never see the second half of it, you think that deck can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened. But it turns out sometimes it doesn't actually get killed first and turns the corner. I, I feel like we still haven't seen the best version of that deck either. Like I feel like you know we haven't, uh, but may, maybe its development got a little interrupted by the companion cycle and it some might, and some better companion might, yeah. decks. Luris might be a huge mistake. I think it was, if anything, you know, it felt like, well, it's nice to have a, a lifelink creature that you can put stuff on in a pinch that I can just cast, right? Because one of the problems with those decks is if I don't draw a creature, or if you kill the one or two creatures I have, then I know where to put my enchantments. And now you have this extra creature you always have, on top of it being able to bring back the thing that died. But maybe you didn't need it, and you were just making your deck worse. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. Cycling 
Bickling lost its, you know, its companion now costs extra mana and is a lot worse. But I think Lurus may have just been forcing companion, uh, the forcing a companion onto a cycling deck that didn't care very much most of the time. Right. Like the the matchup, particularly with me, uh, was one of the places Lurus was reasonably good. But so often it's just I don't want to spend three mana on that. Right. My deck's busy. I'm cycling here. <laughs> it's not like I run out of cards. Right. The deck might plausibly change zero cards. Uh, despite the fact that it now has access to some some new options. I can also see it wanting new cards, but we will see. You know, Riel is beckoning, but probably too slow, the way that things are currently going. We'll have to see. Yeah, um, I, am, I, am, I am eager for a cathartic reunion with Riel. That, that is, I, I've had that happen to me in a limited game, and I'm like, oh, I want to do that in some constructed format. <laughs> I'm also curious if they start splashing green. Uh, go for what does the green give you? Joriel. Interesting. Moan, Vuli, Recluse. And by the way, Wizards, like, do we have to get Bosnian levels of lack of vowels in our names now? Like, what the hell is <laughs> <laughs> Like that M-W-O-N-V, like, two, you can get one of those in a name. You can't have two right next to each other. Like, the human brain just goes, wait, this isn't English. Right? Like... I mean, seriously, like, not acceptable. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it. I just, yeah. But it, it's, well, another big pay, it's another big payoff for Concycling Back, I think. Right. So let, let's talk about some of, the, some of these new cards, because that's the crazy thing right now, is, like, we have, we have a whole new standard format, you know, right on the horizon for us with M21 coming out. Yeah, um, I... It can't come soon enough. Like I really want to see things shaken up. Although we talked about this yesterday, I want to say just straight up, I'm excited to get things shaken up, but I'd be even more excited if they weren't. Right. right. So you're 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 so as as some people who've been around Magic for a long time, you you talked about sort of their Mercadian masks paused, right? Yeah. Like, right. like there was they time when Magic the sets were just so powerful all the time. And then things kind of powered down a little around Mercadian masks. Yeah, there was just some like, I mean, that set had gush in it, right? That set had mostly <laughs> started in. That set had some stuff. But you can see what's going on, right? The desire to slow it down, pair it back, to, you know, power on creep in some sense to say, we're sorry about the Urza's block. We went too far. It's time to set a new level and we can, we can go from there. And we need a reset button. We need to do that. And I understand that in today's corporate world, it's very, very hard to get the bosses to agree to this set's going to be unexciting. And the next set's going to be unexciting too. And so for next year, perhaps, we're going to have unexciting sets and there's going to be rotation. And now the sets are exciting again. So interesting. I, I, I wonder, um, as, as we, the first card that I was going to talk about is, uh, I think, the perfect example of this. Um, you know, uh, Blake Rasmussen wrote about his preview card in the context of Patrick Chapin's sort of famous analysis that every card's either a Baneslayer Angel or a Muldrifter, right? And, you know, Blake, known for his love of Muldrifter, was, you know, kind of jokingly, begrudgingly previewing Baneslayer Angel, which is in the new set. And 
I, I kind of wonder if, you know, Base Layer Angel is a, is certainly an exciting card. It's exciting in a very different way than a card like Uro is, right? Which is Uro being much more of a mole drifter than a Baneslayer. Baneslayer Angel had a specific purpose, which is to win the game, right? To take over the battlefield, to rule with an iron fist. I gain five life, you lose five, you can't attack, you can't block, this game is mine. And yeah. when that's what matters, it is still, you know, even this day, this day, those stats are still pretty good. I can't complain. It's definitely, you know, creatures are so much better than they were, right? Back when I made the Mythic deck, getting this out on turn three just felt unstoppably strong, right? Like, yeah. I mean, some decks didn't care that you were only attacking for damage, but you just took over the battle. Now, well, 5-5, five, five, I mean, kind of a wuss, right? <laughs> Is that all you got? Sure. So, uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's interesting to me, you know, if maybe there's this philosophical shift within R&D to go, okay, we've, we've done the mold drifter thing for, you know, a block and a half here. Right or more, you know. Maybe we. Maybe it's time to do a stretch of Bane Flayer sets. There are right. some Moldrifters in this set. Ah, damn it! <laughs> I just named one. Don't ask me to pronounce it again without looking. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So let, let's let's talk about some of these cards. I mean, Bane Slayer Angel does does. I mean, let's start right there. Does Baneslayer Angel have a home in standard in this day and age? Yes. Baneslayer Angel is, at minimum, a good sideboard card. Right? The same way Vera Dawnbringer was an excellent sideboard card. It serves exactly that purpose, right? Which is, I come in, and now you can play just bring in four copies if you want. Not worry about drawing duplicates. I bring this in, I play this, and now I have a 10-point life swing each turn, and nothing you did matters. This card just dominates. And it does match up well against Dreams Russia. Oh, uh, it matches yeah. up badly against Cavalier of Thorns, but very well against Dreams Russia. So it does rule the skies against like a lot of the plausible things that might fight it for the skies. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And like as a surprise sideboard, yeah, as, as the sideboard option out of a white blue control deck or similar to sort of make you worry about it, slash you're playing aggro and now I just win the game, it definitely has a role there. It also is a very good thing to accelerate to if just winning fights matters, right? If that's what I care about. It's a 5-5 five, five life-licking, flying, first-striking, you know, creature for five minutes. You can bring out as early as turn three. And... The whole thing was, you know, if you play Baneslayer Angel, this is better than many decks, right? This is a 10-point swing. There are many decks that just can't actually be better than a Baneslayer Angel, even if you basically don't do anything else the entire game. Two Baneslayer Angels beats most decks that aren't removing them. It's just a stronger thing than everything you are doing. I just start 
attacking and blocking, and there's nothing you can do. So, does it have a place? It has a place. Unfortunately, it's also vulnerable to actual everything that matters right now. <laughs> right? It's very easy to bounce from a brazen borrower. It's very easy to fry. It's very easy to expansion explosion. It's just not that hard to kill. Well, I mean, this this is the card that was kind of at the heart of the dies to Doomblade meme, right? Like, yes. that was always the knock on Banslayer. It's like, all right, you've spent five mana on this. I can spend two mana and kill it. If I don't spend two mana and kill it, I take over the entire game. But <laughs> you can spend two mana. I'm down my five drop with no advantage. What am I going to do now? And I'm at, Am I going to put this in the Nissa slot? Right? Am I going to put this in the incremental advantage slot? And risk that happening. And we'll see. You, uh, We disagreed yesterday about whether we thought Doomblade or something similar was going to come in this set. I, right. I, feel, I feel like it's the, the sort of like self-awareness that Wizards has at this point when they do sets and put cards and pick reprints that uh, it's hard for me to imagine them putting Baneslayer in and not giving it a Doomblade to die to. Whereas to me, I feel the opposite, right? Which is, basically, our angel is going to feel so disappointing at this point if it doesn't just dies the Doomblade. We need to stop. <laughs> we need to really have at least one set without a Doomblade. And we already have a black two-mana removal spell in this set that doesn't kill it. Right. So my guess is that there's a murder variant in this set, but not a Doomblade. Right. I lose, I lose my bet on a murder variant, right? We, we agreed. It's, it's got to be like Terror, Doomblade, something along those lines. For, yeah, for, for, for me to win the wager. A two-mana card that would kill Baneslayer Angel regardless of its color or any of, or any of its abilities. Right. Right. So a, car, a card that said exile target white creature would not count for this purpose. Right. It has to kill basically any generic creature with notably rare exceptions regardless of size. Right. So, right. so non-black so non creature is acceptable. Yeah, I, I accept non-black. Right, yeah. But I wouldn't accept much more restriction than that. Okay. We grandfathered in non-black creature. I mean, look, if terror's in the set, I'm gonna like get you fucked. Just because why not? I love it. Uh, so let's, let's talk about another rare here in white containment priest, which is a. I mean, this is a card that has made its bones in legacy, right? Like this is this is a this is a card I, b I believe that has won a pro tour. Right, the the team pro tour. I believe this was in the the winning deck that won uh, for Alan Wu for Legacy. So I mean, this is this is a card with chops. This is one of those cards that has a very specific purpose, right? Like if you're paying close attention, you can tell it could be evergreen just from looking at it, which turned out to be. That doesn't mean it has a purpose in standard, right? Because right now, you know, it answers Luca. Sure. If Luke is a thing, but Luca isn't the thing, you know, for right now. It answers Winona, uh, if Winona is still a thing, but they did ban Agent of Treachery. So, you know, it's unclear that deck will survive. Right. But uh, we it, need, doesn't, we it doesn't deal with escape, right? Escape no, is still cast. Still cast. Right. Yeah. If, if, it, if, it, if, it, if this card said and it wasn't cast from their hand, I'd be all over it. I'd be all over it. It also stops. Uh, Carrion Feeder. 
recursion. Okay. That's a big deal. There's a bunch of food decks and they can't do their thing. Oh, sure. Sure. They can't, they can't sacrifice a, a food to bring back their cat. Right. I'm not sure that's enough on its own to justify the sideboard card, right? The same way Sports Service Spyglass was always, hmm, I'm not sure this is worth it. Right. But it's definitely a thought. So it's definitely got, it's got some chops. I, I like that it's around. It's a good safety valve, right? I think that Wizard doesn't put enough safety valves in standard. I would like to see more of this type of card available, even if we don't need it, and wouldn't mind if three quarters of them were never played. Uh, Mangara the Diplomat. Speaking of Muldrifters. By which I mean Commander. What's that? That's your Commander, right? This is, not a, this is not a card for Standard. It's not a card for Standard? No. It's a 4-mana 2-4, and it doesn't get any value unless people start doing a lot of... I mean, second spell can come up, but the first spell is kill the Mangara, right? Way too often, when that's true. <laughs> the Mangara. Like, this is just, just dies to Doomblade. Like, the, I have a Commander card, I'm into it. Except that I'm not into Commander. But if I was, sure. it would definitely be an interesting card. It's probably not good enough to be your Commander, right? You sure. want something much more central to a theme than just generic advantage. You can build around. You can't really build around this, but you definitely play it as one of your cards and just play it when you draw. And that seems good to me, right? Like, most lots of players are just suddenly, they're giving you cards all the time. Sounds cool. And I have a two for a lifelinker. Sweet. Uh, I also don't want to just, just uh, skip over Boss Cat. Oh, sure. I don't have that on my preview yet here. All right. So I'm, I'm at the Wizards page. So Boss uh, let me just zoom in. It, it's not a good sign that, like, on my 30 inch monitor, I have to zoom in to read these planeswalkers. <laughs> right? I've always been suspicious of this. So it's, a three, it's one white, white for a three mana walker. Uh, plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature is indestructible. Minus two, when one or more non-token creatures attack this turn, create that many one-one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. I'm curious what happens if you activate this on someone else's turn. Just from a rules perspective. Right. <laughs> like, are, the, are your creatures attacking the... Who are your creatures attacking when that happens, right? Um... It doesn't say one or more of your non-creature tokens attack this turn, right? It could. It chose not to. It's probably not worth the text on the card, but it creates a very cool, weird corner case that, like, doesn't actually matter, but yeah. And then uh, minus six, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token, then put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. So three metal walkers are always scary because they can run away with the game. Very quickly. Right. This seems profoundly not scary to me. Right. This, I mean, we, we've seen variants of three mana planeswalkers that put plus one, plus one counters on creatures before, right? Like that goes all the way back through Magic's history. You're with planeswalkers. Right. You know, this is this is yeah. very much in a, a Johnny feeling card. Yeah. Like this, this neither generates tokens unless it ultimates or ultimates quickly. Nor is its minus two ability that exciting. Right. I mean, it's not even said for like one drop, two drop, play this, minus two immediately, get two more creatures, attack with, you have four creatures attacking. Next turn, I'm going to untap, plus one it, and threaten to do it again, and be annoying. And maybe it's fine, but I can't see choosing this over Gideon. 
Right. Right now. Right. This seems way worse than Gideon and everything Gideon does. So my assumption is this will not see play. This is just not good enough. Even if the deck that would play it is there, it'll play something else. Right. And, and of course, Bossry comes with uh, three other cards. Um, you know, Bossry Solidarity, which is white one, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control, uh, which is an uncommon. Bossry's Acolyte, which is two WW for a two, three lifelinker. And when it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to two other target creatures you control. Uh, and then the rare, which is Bastry's Lieutenant, which is four mana, three and a W for Vigilance, protection from multicolored. When Bastry's Lieutenant enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So this can come into play as a four or five, right? It doesn't right. say other. And uh, whenever it, or whenever Bastry's Lieutenant or another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one, plus one counter on it, you get a two, two white, Night creature token with vigilance. Yeah, and these all strike me as not good enough. I mean, four or five protection from multicolor. It seems like it, it could be a fairly relevant card, especially considering that it replaces itself if it dies. It replaces itself with a two-two with vigilance, which is not really replacing itself the way you'd like it to. Sure. I just, I mean, I've been playing the hell out of Stonecoil Serpent. I mean, this is this is the 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 comparison I was going to bring up, right? Because that card has been there are there are some games where your opponent's just like, oh, I just can't do anything about this protection for multicolored card, and I'm going to concede right now. I mean, vigilance is a big game. I like the vigilance, but the trample on serpent is at sure. least as good, I think. Yeah, and the fact that it can be mutated onto properly is a huge game that this doesn't have, right? <laughs> yes. It can, it's not a bad mutation target, but it's not a great one either. Well, it, it can't be a mutation target. It's a human. Oh, that's right. It's a terrible one. Terrible target. <laughs> but more than that, this is only at four mana, right? You can neither go huge nor fill your curve at one or two. Sure. And this is, when it, when it hits, it's only four or five instead of four or four on that turn, but different ability and a little bit bonus. Like, unless you're Unless the, the format's full of multicolored things, you just want to play as many multicolored protections as you can and just play all eight. I don't see this happening. I, I would play four snowcoil serpents in every deck before I played the first passers. I think. Sure. Um, I understand what the extra card is trying to do, but I don't. I don't see it. Uh, Solidarity also just feels like the ordering on this card is too awkward. You you just don't get enough value. Uh, I mean, Ajax Ascension is actually somewhat interesting. I think more than the others, those cards. So this is the first card uh, in this. It's uncommon. Uh, one white instant exiles her creature of Planeswalker's controller creates a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying. Sure. This is hard removal for anything. Slash an instant two mana 4-4. Right? If, you, if something's about to die, you have a token to spare, etc. It can go both ways. The one thing you can do is you can combine this with a deck of creature removal or bounce. Right? That some decks just won't otherwise have anything that needs to be bounced or killed right. by the creature removal. And you need to aim this ascension at something else and immediately clean up the board. It's just a token. Right. And other times you can aim at your own stuff and get a 4-4 four -four for two mana. Yeah, you, like, you, get to, you get to kill something and then bounce the token with Teferi, right? Yeah, like it's definitely the kind of card that you know has more promise than it usually fulfills and it probably never actually gets good enough. But it's 
It's the kind of card I can't outright dismiss, right? I, I can't I mean, cards, say, cards like Crib Swap and Afterlife uh, have always have always found some spot in uh, spot and constructed when they've been legal. Right. The big difference here is that a four four is actually scary. Sure. Right. You're giving you're giving someone a creature worth having, and that matters. Sure. But some but sometimes you're giving them that creature in exchange for a planeswalker. Right. And the issue is like if, if you have plenty of ways to deal with a creature, but not a planeswalker, yeah. Then you can play this card like in a game one setting, like best of one card, right? Like this is the best of one card. Where you play it and there's always something useful to do with it. And then if it's bad, you can board it out. Right. Right. But once you no longer want to play the useless creature removal, you sideboard the that as well. So you have to prepare your sideboard carefully. You can get there. So how about this card? Pack leader. Yeah, that's this is a card. This is this interesting. Is one of the best words ever printed, I think. If you know, not counting the quality of the the tribe, right? We don't know that yet, right? So but one W for a dog, two two. Other dogs you control get plus one plus one, and then whenever pack leader attacks, prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn to dogs you control. I don't see the word other on that line. I I don't either. I just noticed that. That's crazy. So this is a, on its own, is a 2-2 two, two for 2 that doesn't die when it attacks. That is, you know, they just prevent all combat damage when it's attacking. And it gives all your dogs, other dogs, that same ability and plus one, plus one. So two of these together are attacking for six with, you know, no ability to interfere. And then compare this to, you know, we played Inspiring, uh, what's his name? Like a, a two mana lord for knights that were just plus one plus one straight up, and we're happy to have it. Right. And this is plus one plus one with a very nice extra line on it. Yeah. Right. That even applies to itself. So, you know, the dog deck gets off to a very, very strong start here, I would say. And I would add, I'm also perfectly happy to play Selfless Savior in that deck, right? It can be used to protect your pack leader or other important dogs and you need one drops but of course this deck's going to need a lot more good stuff right you it's going to be you can't just play pack leader without a pack right you, need the pack. You, you don't you don't make a card like pack leader unless you are going to you know give people the tools to build that deck even if that might maybe comes out over multiple sets right like we might not see it fully realized in M21, but maybe over the next two sets, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I definitely, you know, we all have our fond memories of Rufik of the Pearl Trident plus Lord of Atlantis plus question mark. Yeah. <laughs> right? The idea was, you know, they teased that there was going to be this thing that might eventually happen, and then slowly but surely it did. So, and and uh, was, There were some people that would argue about surely it did, right? <laughs> like, I mean... It could be a 25-year tease, let's be honest. <laughs> I play the end of the Pro Tour, it counts. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, whether or not it quite got there at the time, but I think it's clearly you know, not there yet with what we've seen. We, we could right. see more. All right. Thought, thoughts on cards like Face Fetters and Ruined Halo as options for... Uh, you know, like the blue-white control decks? Face Fetters has always been a bygone era. Like, back when you could pay four mana for that, you could do that. You can't anymore. 
right? Yeah. The four the four mana just isn't that the four mana just isn't that big a deal. The four mana is huge. Rune Halo again. The problem has always been this doesn't actually solve your problem because there's so many mole drifters, right? To use our right. metaphor of the day, right? That there's a lot of times this just won't do the job you want it to do, and all that's making up for basically is being able to hit second copies of things is the big advantage of Rune Halo, right? Or if it's just one card that they have to do. There's only one way to beat you. This offers the way out. Right. I'm going to name Dream Trawler. I'm going to name... I guess Dream Trawler probably does damage in any way, in, in other ways, but... Yeah. Or I'm going to name a Baneslayer Angel in a deck that doesn't really care about interacting in combat. Right. The weird part being, why is they running Baneslayer Angel against me? But... There's definitely times that you just like, you know, questing beast or some good creature. And now you just don't have to worry about it anymore. And over time, they draw more copies and, and life gets better. I'm generally very skeptical of Rutalo being good enough. Right? Like, double white is annoying. You have to cast it proactively if you want to get it down early, before you see their hand, uh, if you want to get it down on turn two. Later on, you could have played something more reliable. But, you know, there might be a, there might be a window. It's not impossible. So, then we get into blue. We don't, have, we don't have the full spoiler, so now we're into blue. Okay. And so the the arena team was clearly in charge of designing Pursued Whale. I mean, just based on the name. That's, I guess that's possible. <laughs> Where are you going with uh, that? Yeah. Well, you know, whales and free-to-play games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a history. Uh, seven mana for an 8-8, eight, eight, so five in UU. Well, when it enters the battlefield, each opponent creates a 1-1 one, one red pirate creature token with this creature can't block and creatures you control attack each combat if able. Yeah, I really like this design. This is, this is cool. The idea is you force all the creatures to attack and if you want them to keep doing that, you just don't block the pirate. <laughs> Spells your opponent's cast that target pursued whale costs three more in a cast. So right, and I get why they put stuff like that on these cards. I'm kind of sick of all these extra words. I just don't think that your seven drop being hard to target is going to be that big a deal. I mean, I guess they're trying to make it a reanimator target in some worlds, but sure. I don't think it's good enough for that. Uh, I think there are better options. But, yeah, it's just too much mana. Seven's just yeah. so much mana. You know, right. I, and, there, and there's other options. Like, you know, this is... When you get into these, like, seven, six, seven, eight drop blue creatures, a lot of times they're, they're playing the role of finishers in, you know, a control deck. And, and I just think there's better options still available in this standard format um, that that are gonna that are gonna fill that role for you. Yeah, this is not what we're looking for. If you gave me flat out hexproof instead of that last line, sure. I'd be curious. But they didn't want to push it this far. Yeah. And that's fine. No one's saying you have to. I don't want to see every card pushed, right? Right. This is gonna be a thing. Like normally I'm kind of mad. When I see a missed opportunity, like, like look at the Moby Dick card, and <laughs> it's kind of cool, and it's not quite good enough on sad face, right? And now it's like, no, 
I got a smile out of it, and it's very, very good and limited, and we can move on with our lives. That's fine. The Moby Dick card should not be blue, let's be honest, but... It is, though. It could, yeah. be, is, it could be what this card is. We all know right. it, so... Uh, you talked about cards from a bygone era. Let's let's talk briefly about rewind. Not a not a rare. You know, mostly talking about the rares here. But uh, is this is this a card that you have a any fondness for or b any optimism for? Both actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think this gets it done. Basically, four mana is a very special number right now. Right, is the number you have when you undertap a bonus recognition. It's the number that lets you then cast Nine Pack Ambusher. So, going into your four mana turn, holding up a rewind, is a very, very good place to be. Right. In various ways, right? Like the Nine Pack Ambusher rewind fork is <laughs> very strong. Sure. Well, and you also you think about all of the Chemister's Insight turns too, right? Like. Okay, well, do they have a counter or do they have a card draw? And here you can you can have both. Nightpack Ambusher also fitting in fine for the card draw component there, right? Like a flash creature. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any good way for us to actually untap more than four mana here. I don't think this goes into Nissa decks particularly, for example. Right. Like even if you did untap more than four mana, I don't think you do anything with it in that situation. So there's no point in trying. But you know, sometimes you wonder. Uh, you just, like, slowly whistle, and you keep an eye out. You see what happens. But I would be very surprised if there weren't, like, some people didn't try Rewind in their uh, Reclamation decks. Sure. Um, rewind, cycle my Shark Typhoon, right? Like, why? why make oh, yeah. Them? Yeah, Rewind was a card. I think the last time Rewind really shined was probably, like, mid-2000s when people were winning these kind of like grindier games of magic with Giga Drows, and you could rewind the last copy of Giga Drows and then untap four of your lands. Ah, interesting. You know, that was, that was the last time I remember rewind, you know, finding a really, really sweet spot in standard. Yeah. I, I and, was... and every Shaheen Sarani deck ever, but. You know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The card's fine. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm happy so to see the art back as well. What's that? I'm happy to see the art back. Like mm -hmm. a lot of yeah, I I'm a big fan of like letting people actually know what they're seeing. So yeah, I, I think there's too many too many alternate artworks running around these days. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh see the truth, one you for a sorcery, look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those in your hand and the rest on the bottom. If the spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. Yeah, I'm not sure I see the flavor of why that works that way. Uh, so obviously, if you if you don't take advantage of that last clause, this is a bad turn draw spell. This is a bad filtering spell. You can do that. It's anticipated sorcery speed. So clearly. Right. We're hoping to actually draw three cards with this. And the question is, how realistic is that? Do we have good ways to do that? And the answer is maybe. <laughs> right. 
So certainly, so certainly playing See the Truth and being able to make a copy of See the Truth. So to use a very clunky example, a Lutri, right? And so I cast See the Truth, I flash in a Lutri, I copy See the Truth. I would get, I would end up up, you know, get four cards in hand for that. I don't think so, right? It's not cast. It has to be cast from somewhere else. It has to just not. Oh, not even it's actually copy cast right. from your hand. So, so this is a snap. So, if like, but if I snapcaster mage this, right? If you snapcaster mage your surveillance briefing, that works. Right. I see. That's the obvious go to. Okay. Oh, surveillance briefing's still legal, right? Yeah, that was that was my only thought that seemed like it was realistic. That one might do that. That still seems like it's not that much better than just a normal card drawing spell. Like the problem is that you're not saving that much, right? You're saving two mana when you pull this off. And that means you have to sort of want to do this on turn two and be willing to do this on turn two in order to try and, like, get it to finally happen. So I'm pretty skeptical this gets there in standard. Right. The question is, you know, in a modern-style format, like, you get the Snapcaster Mage for real. Are you excited? My guess is it's a bad enough card when you don't Snapcaster it. The answer is no. Yeah, I mean, I'm not excited about paying four mana on my turn to do that, right? Four mana for draw three and have a two one? It's like pretty medium, right? In yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, especially three. like on turn on that turn with that much mana, you're supposed to be winning in those formats. Yeah, or at not least just, not. Not just pulling ahead. Right, you're neither winning nor not losing with that. You right. are pulling ahead, and that's not something you can plan on. You can't build your strategy around that. I can see decks that already have four snapcaster mages like boarding in one seed of troop for like grinding matchups or something, but I don't think it goes any farther than that. I, I guess this also works with Underworld Breach. Yes, but if you're pulling off Underworld Breach, isn't the game over? Yeah, well, I'm thinking about like, does this unlock Underworld Breach in standard somehow? Right? And that's the that's kind of what I'm trying to think about. Right, the theory being that if you cast this even once, You've just cast Concentrate. And if you cast this twice, you've cast six mana draw six. Yeah. And now you're pretty excited if you had this naturally ways to do it. My guess is no. Yeah, probably not. But it's 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 certainly certainly something to keep an eye on. And and certainly feels like the kind of card that gets dusted off at some point in some format as uh, a piston that gets some combo engine going. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, I don't think it's good enough to be an evergreen card, but it's possible that it will eventually be part of some standard or pioneer engine that's like slightly better than the alternatives. Right. It won't be the reason you play the deck, right? It'll just be like something the deck happens to do. Sure. No, I, yeah, absolutely. What's more likely to get played in your mind, Pursued Whale or Spined Megalodon? Which is which one are you more likely to face off against in a standard format at some point? Well, it's fine. Think about it is zero percent, right? Like that is it, it's hex proof. <laughs> seven mana. Aren't there much, much better reanimation targets if you just want the hex proof guy? Sure. Right? So like domination isn't the name of the game, right? Like it isn't this isn't the streets. You're not sending in the police to dominate. You are trying to dominate a battlefield with a creature. So Pursued Whale dominates the battlefield, right? Like, it just takes over. And it also dominates the alternatives, right? There's no card that does the same thing it does. 
cheaper and better. Right. Whereas Spider Megalodon is just like, I'm just worse. Right. I'm just sad. Whereas, you know, can I see, in theory, right, finding a way to play these other cards? Yeah, I can see it. I mean, it's not zero, but it's, it's not that far from zero, but it's not right. zero. We're, really, we're just stalling because uh, we're stalling for Teferi Master of Time here. This is, uh, this is one of the cards that was hyped up way, way in advance of the 2021 announcement. You know, this was the first thing that um, the promo video talked about. We were worried that there would be multiple Teferis in the format the way they phrased it, but they were really talking about different versions of the art. I think there's nine different versions of this card you can possibly get in any one language. Yeah, and I think that's eight too many. That's <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, uh, that aside, I'm glad they're all, they're only adding one to ferry to to the format at the time. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I think we should have the ferry, and then the the alternate art to ferry should be the expanded art to ferry. The expanded art cards are awesome. They're the same art. Like once you know what the first one is, you know what the second one is. Right. And I just don't like the whole like. Well, if you see a planeswalker that's like randomly looks like it's to ferry. Look at the casting cost and see if it's Teferi Master of Time. Right? I mean, otherwise, yeah, we, don't, we just don't need nine copies of the same card. We need one copy of the same card that's really cool. And, like, this copy is cool. This copy is plenty cool. I mean, it's not the greatest because it's, you know, one of these, like, I have no space for my picture because I've got three abilities plus this extra static ability problem. But, you know, it's not going to get that much better. It's pretty solid. You know, dude means business, clearly. He's got that weird, you know, like, I have no color of my eyes anymore thing going on. <laughs> focused and, like, taken over by possessed things. So. But, so, uh, so what, yeah. do you, what do you think of this card? I mean, I will say that, you know, we've had a lot of Teferi for several yes. years now. And I was looking to be like, I don't want to see another Teferi for a very long time. Can we get some other, like, well, probably no other Planeswalkers, right? Probably just no thing takes this place. If we just saw no Planeswalkers for the next two years, it'd be a happy guy, right? right. Like, but this is interesting. Like, the interesting part is it's an instant speed. Teferi's instant speed, which is very Teferi. You can activate it on both turns. Which That's is crazy of- to me. That, that- just- that's that's crazy that I can play it, activate it, and then on your turn I can activate it again. Well, the good news is the plus one is not that exciting, and he starts at three loyalty. So you have to do some work, right? You you do work twice as fast. We still got to do a lot of work. Sure. This is, you know, I mean, to get from three to ten is still seven activations, which is still four turn, you know, three and a half turn cycles later. That's pretty standard amount of time to ultimate something. Right. And the minus three just phases things out, right? Which is so much worse than balancing. Them. <laughs> yeah. You can't phase out your own, like you can't phase out your your own stuff to protect it. Like the fairy is no shield here. The fairy right. is only a fog that thing away. Like right. make that thing go away for a minute so I can attack or I can defend myself. But you know, a plus one to the minus three. I mean, I guess the, the standard mode is I'm, I I come down, fairy plus ones to four. I minus three the attacker down to one. Then I plus one on my own turn, and I'm at two. I plus one again. Now I've gone draw three, discard three, pick up two attacks, you know, force you to handle it or something bad happens. But maybe 
maybe it's good enough. But it's just, I feel very skeptical here. Sure. It's like, I'm just not scared by this card when I look at it, right? I feel like I can ignore it reasonably often. I feel like I can attack it, force him to force the opponent to use it. Not much happened there. I mean, yeah, it's more, I guess it's better than Teferi 3 if you get both at the same cost, but it's not obvious. Right? That's kind of where I'm at. Sure. So yeah, this is not going to this is not going to take over the standard format like the Fairy Three did. This is not going to be the main Deferi. Our, our our guy is still the other guy, who is just as obnoxiously good as. <laughs> and, right. Yeah, you know, I just very this sad. side of Banworthy, basically. Right. I mean, like, I mean, if not for Wilderness Reclamation, I think it would have gotten very serious discussion internally. If not. And we'll see, right? Like, it's the card is dumb, it's been dumb for a while, and we're all sick of it. Yes, so uh, what, what do you think of uh, Teferi's Ageless Insight, a four mana legendary enchantment? I'm going to assume you're not super excited about it. No, it, it's a lot of again. The problem is in today's format, it's a lot better than it was two weeks ago, right? Right, like when companions were a thing for real, this card was terrible. Because you couldn't afford to pay four mana for a card that then drew you cards. That was absurd. Whereas now, it's a little reasonable to maybe do that. Um, I mean, one could look at this as, you know, if a cycling deck plays this card and untaps with it, well, it's never any cards again. That's for sure. For example. Right. You know, stuff like that. But... Yeah, it's going to be tough. And obviously, Deferi's it was inside the same casting cost as Deferi Master Time, which is kind of annoying because they really like each other. Yes, yes. You would love to. You would love to play one on three and then the other on four. Right, and if power levels could be adjusted just slightly, but they can't do that. And it's a lot of investment to play four four drops, two four drops here, just to do that. Right. So it's probably not good enough. I'm also sad it's legendary. You know, sure. why, are you, why are you raiding on our parade? It doesn't actually matter very much. Because, like, <laughs> you right. untapped the first copy. Did you really need the second copy? Really? I think you got this. Yeah. Um, worth talking about quickly, just Teferi's tutelage. Uh, because for the first time in 27 years of magic history, um, Mill has been templated as Mill. That's key. I'm very, very happy that this card says Mill on it. I am, you know, less thrilled by, so I, in general, I mean, I, I, I don't love naming cards after Planeswalkers sure. in general. And well, this is, this uh, is basically a repurpose of a card that was named after, wasn't there Jace's Tutelage that basically did the same thing? There was a previous card that did very similar things. Yeah, that's the yeah. kind of thing. Like, is there going to be X's Tutelage that does basically the same thing over and over again in Magic's history now? You have to rename it because it's like, you know, this set has a different Planeswalker. Does anyone else find it ironic, though, that, you know, okay, we're calling Mill Mill now, but we call this, we have tutelage in the name of this card, and it doesn't tutor? Yeah, why isn't this card, I mean, to be clear, <laughs> no one else would invite to call this card Deferi's Millstone, if we're right. going to take Deferi's, right? Right. Because why not? They get an artifact. Deferi's Millstone, blue two. Come on, so much better. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. I mean, it just... And, 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 the quote could be, and by the way, the, 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 the quote could be, the ferry had already driven more than... You know, more than one mate had already been driven insane by the ferry. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that, right? Because uh, it's true, and yeah. let's harken back, right? And there's even a tutor in the set, right? We have Grim Tutor, and then Tutelage. Ah, I think it's a missed opportunity. Anyway. Yeah, Tutelage and a protege, and no one's tutoring. Like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> what, uh, Grim Tutor, uh, where, where, where does this card set for you in terms of playability and standard? I mean, I don't feel like I we mean, see these cards get a lot of action. This is, this is a desperate person football tutor, right? Like, this is... This is, we have no choice. We just need to find one card and then we win the game on turn four over four top. That's where I am with this card. Like, that's the level it needs to be at. Um, I don't think it's quite impossible, but it's rough. I mean, right. Embercleave? Question mark? Interesting. Right, would be the one thought was a five mana Embercleave is not so bad. If you go black, black one, then RR, and the three life won't matter very much is maybe a place you could go with with options, right? Like, you don't have to get it. You can get your Proxa or your, you know, whatever else you had in mind instead, if you felt like it. It's not that, it's not that you'll never play Grim Tutor. There'll be reasons to play Grim Tutor, but, but, yeah, we're not in a format where pay three mana, lose three life, don't do anything yet. Is that exciting to begin with? So I'm, I'm skeptical, but, again... I wouldn't rule it out. Whereas Liliana, with Dur of the Dead, is just dead. Yes, he's dead. What? Dead on arrival. Yeah, cards useless. Okay, right. Like isn't it's it four like, mana, two BB for a legendary planeswalker, four loyalty, plus one. Each player discards a card. Each opponent who can't discard loses three life. Uh, target creature gets minus X minus X, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard is a minus three. And then a minus seven, which is an emblem at the beginning of combat on your turn. Put target creature card from the graveyard onto the battlefield. Under your control, it gains haste. This card is bad enough, given it's Liliana, that it smells like it cost one BB until late in development, and they nerfed it. <laughs> right? It's just the template of a three-mana Planeswalker, right? A plus one that's, like, kind of symmetrical, like, but... There's some use for it, like minus three, deal with something, maybe minus seven, do something cool. Like, yeah, it has an ultimate, so like it's a little rough for that, but like it doesn't feel like it costs four mana. Right. It feels like it's like, no, this is at least half a minute too much for me to even think about it. Like maybe in a true reanimator deck where I really want to fill up my graveyard really aggressively, but even then. This is the weakest Liliana we've seen in a while. She's often got some very good variants. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I, I feel like maybe I wonder if there was a, a an effort to you know avoid three mana planeswalkers for the most part, or in colors that have gotten three three mana planeswalkers in the past. Um, you know, the card eliminate is an option for combating three that, mana right? planes. Yeah. What? Let's not skip that. We just skipped over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's right here. Yeah. Destroy, yeah. 1B, instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker or converted mana cost three or less. Uh, I heartily endorse the service or product. That's great. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how often I'll play it, but it's definitely great that it exists. Uh, my one, I usually love simplicity. Uh, my one sadness here is that this won't kill to this won't kill to fairy time revel on the turn that they play it. Right. I because want this to fairy on the spot. It just feels like it should somehow, right? Like we've been dealing with this for too long. We shouldn't be a disadvantage just because we went second and they drew to fairy like this. Not fair. But yeah, I suggested a card that says at end of turn target player sacrifices a planeswalker or something like that or creature or planeswalker right. as kind of a get out from under the Deferi before it begins solution but you know even then obviously you're getting two for one one for zero right. or whatever you right. call yeah, it. Yeah. but at least you're getting out of it and here you're not even getting out of it kind of sad yeah yeah right maybe just destroy or counter target but <laughs> All right, so I want to back up a bit, just talk about Archfiend's Vessel for a second. Oh, sure. Right, because this is a 1-1 life lifelicker for V, but if it enters the battlefield from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard, exile it, and if you do, create a 5-5 black demon creature token with flying. So I just want to note that Wizards R&D um, didn't know that Lurus was going to cost an extra three mana when they made this card. <laughs> <laughs> right? I just want to say that out loud. You could build a deck like Wicked Novin, Creature Forgotten Gods, and a guaranteed Luris. And then turn four would be Luris, Arch Archfiend's Vessel, get a 5 5, keep going. Like that was something you could just do until other things went wrong. So you know, to me, this is one more sign. But they just didn't think about this mechanic at all. They didn't think about this at all. There's no way that's a reasonable magic game. That's funny. That's very funny. Right. And now we have to pay three extra mana to do that. So might still be very good. Right. We we um we still have a reanimation spell at three mana that can bring back two of this. Oh sure. Right, so that's a uh, a very good start, and plenty of other things you can do with it. Like it seems like a very good, interesting thing to do. But I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of aghast when I see this. Like you didn't know, right. you didn't know that didn't work. You printed this anyway. Like that's, the scorpions are bad enough. Let me tell you, that's pretty exciting, right? Like you know, cathartic reunion on turn two, turn three. The, the black three-mana spell, get two five-fives? Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit, like, of a stretch, right? Because, like, yeah, sure. the same card, but, like, you, there's plenty of other things you can bring back with that yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, there's a... There's things to do, right? Like, this this gives you a one-drop that turns into a valid animation target, right? It gives you a five-five with flying. Not great value, but it's, you know, for a full reanimation spell, but it's, like, at least a backup plan. And yeah, it costs one. So there's plenty of things you can do with it that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do with it. So you know, I'm not sure there's enough right now, but wow. Just wow. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you, you think about what could have been. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Carrying Grub is just too much mana to be interesting for what it is, but it is worth noting it could attack for 20 in some circumstances. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Massacre Worm is a, a reprint that's going to find some, I guess, some sideboard use here and there. Yeah, like the, the casting cost is obnoxious, and like it's pretty sad when this is not a if this isn't a mole drifter, it's a pretty sad card, right? If yeah. nothing dies, comes out comes into play, you're pretty sad, right? So in the bad matchups, it's pretty bad. It's really yeah. over. But in the good matchups, yeah. And then we come to a card that like was so close to being so much better than it is. Necromentia. Necromentia. One BB sorcery. Choose a card name other than a basic land card name. Search target opponent's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles their library, then creates a 2-2 black zombie creature token from each card exiled from their hand this way. So similar to Unmoored Ego, but instead of drawing a card for each card exiled, they get to make a 2-2 zombie. Yeah. Is this I'm, card going to be played I'm, less I'm, than Unmoored Ego? I mean, I'm sad this can't hit basic lands. <laughs> it feels like we finally reached the point where, like, how do you feel lucky, Punk? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they don't draw a card. They just get the 2-2. Two -two. So it's another source of this effect, right? If you want another source of this effect, and this one is black-black instead of... Uh, Black blue. So, yeah, that's what you want. It's available. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and we've we've seen these cards find find homes, uh, pretty pretty steadily out of sideboards. Sometimes even main decks when the formats have really really warped, and you you know you know exactly what you're up against on turn, you know two of the the matchup, and you're like, oh okay, well their deck falls apart if I name this. So I think one of the most fun parts of this is going to be the games where it's like, well, you took my win condition, and now I have to win it for two two zombies. <laughs> right, like reverse Simeon Spirit Guide beat down. Right, this is the only way I have left is the one you gave me. So this better work. And those games will be great, right? Like win or lose, those games are going to be great. But yeah, I'm glad the card exists. Yeah, it'll 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 see play. Uh, Peer into the Abyss for BBB Sorcery. Target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half their life round up each time. Yeah, so if you are able to lose half your life and a turn, or if you have omniscience in play, <laughs> in which case the game is just over, let's face it, unless you die as a response or something. Right. Then... You can pick up half your deck and control for the perfect hand. If, or you can aim it at them and knock off half their life in exchange for them having the world. Right, right. So it does have two modes. It's a lot of mana. So I yes. think, I think that's the zone of that on distance need not apply. Basically, yes. those with it. Might want a card that just walks in the win after omniscience. Sure. That you could also just, you know, if you're casting the spells for free, you could cast that instead in some other way, perhaps. But it just feels like it's a little bit 
it's too much, right? It's just, it's just working too hard. Sure. I get what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yes, there was a time when I would have tried to win on the spot after this, but like, I mean, look, they're, 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 in, in, in vintage, there are probably decks that are just like, I'm going to cast this and then immediately win the game. Right? Most of the time. So can I get to BBB four? Well, there's a lot of black rituals. So maybe <laughs> it's not so realistic. It's only one more mana than Young Lost Bargain, and it draws you as many or more cards. So maybe? I don't know. I get I'm glad it exists, right? It's it's kind of cool. Right. Yeah, this this is this is the kind of card that you you love to chew on. Right? Yeah. You know, they, I, they've I, given I, you I, they've given you a high bar to get over, but if you can get over it, it's backbreaking. This is a good spot. This yeah. card is in a good spot. I'm happy it was coming. But I don't expect anyone standard to play it successfully. <laughs> not often. But there are not decks where like burning one of these one or two of this end, right? Like suddenly this like you have you're playing like a doom deck, right? A uh, doom foretold deck. And you board in like one pier into the abyss, and then like on turn seven, you just tutored for it with your uh Wishbane Talisman, and you're just like, I'll draw half my library. And the guy just like instant scoops, right? It's like, I have a hand of seven cards that matter. And you don't. Right? And or I just discarded a bunch of enchantments and the next round I'm going to untap and play the, uh, you know, Dance of the Nance that I obviously just drew as you half my deck. And Dance of the Nance for six, for six, for six enchantments. And this game is over. That's how it ends. But you, again, like, could have just played Dance of the Nance and probably would have won that game. So, like, <laughs> did you need to do that? There's some for you did. So maybe. I don't know. It's got corner cases. Yeah. It's an interesting card too because it becomes the lower your life total, the better value it becomes. Right. Although I think the best value is when you're at 20. Yeah. Right. Or when you're at 18, right? When you're just when you're when you're at pain land. When you're at shockland. Sure. When you're at shockland damage, because nobody cares. Right. And you're just like, okay, I'm at nine. Do your worst, punk. And then your worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. All right. Uh, last black rare that we have right now is Vito Thorn of the Dusk Rose. A 1-3 uh, for 2 and a B. Uh, how about Village Rights, though, for a second, right? Yeah, this common? One? Yeah. Let's go. B for an instant as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature, draw two cards. So this card is traditionally cost one b yeah so this is this is a pretty dramatic price drop this card is very good i would be very very happy to play this in some of the black weenie decks that we have around right that have a lot of creatures that like don't provide much that are there to provide some value you know you're, you're even like potentially a mass wanting in these decks and you can just sacrifice and draw two cards sure. um Look, if you've got a basement that's not very humid and has plenty of space, and you were to put like ten thousand of this in the basement, I don't think that's crazy. Huh. I'm just gonna say that right now. Even at common, huh? That's why I said ten thousand, right? It's, it's free <laughs> right now for purchase. But I'm saying, like, look, don't pay real money for it. But yeah, I think that you know. Obviously, this relies on magic having its moment even more so than today in the future and continuing to grow. 
But especially if COVID means that there aren't that many physical copies of M21 distributed, which is oh, very possible. Yeah. Like this card could be a modern staple forever. This could be a pioneer staple forever. And it would not surprise me at all. Right? Like it's very, very good in formats that cost nothing. So I just want to find that right here, right now. Right? All right. This is a diamond. This card will do things. People will find uses. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Noted. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about some red cards. Uh, we'll start start with a dog, by the way. Uh, Bolthound. Yeah, Vito exists, but like, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe Vito goes into the black decks. Like, they're decks that, like, you're gaining a bunch of life, right? Like, can you imagine if, like, you generate a bunch of food and you start sacrificing it? Like, you drain them every time? Kind oh, that's right. I forgot about Vito. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah. I heard that is Vito, like, the power to Vito. Well, I mean, I am very much, like, not a Vito-y fan of Vito. moving dog. towards red? You're like, like Vito not, moving towards red. Fan. I'm not a dog yeah. fan in life. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, I will get letters. I don't care. But, uh, <laughs> look, Vito is, uh, you know, Vito has an interesting ability. I don't think it's good enough on a 1-3 body. I think that's just too small. But sure. it's got something I mean, there. This is, this is very, when you play Commander, you very, very commonly see black-white decks that play around with gaining life and your opponent losing life and siphoning life and doing all these kind of things and all these crazy cards that do this. And this is one more tool for those decks. And I expect, I expect to see this card quite a bit in, in Commander. And, it is target uh, opponent, not all opponents. Sure. That's fine. Maybe better. You know. I don't know. Yeah. Make friends. <laughs> Gives them a way to be friendly as opposed to draining everybody. If it said everybody, though, you'd see a lot more of it in Commander. Yeah, you'd also see people get to die, right? Like, yeah. like, stop draining me! I can't! Yeah, you already it's just awful. try to kill that player pretty much on sight. You know, your player shows up with some black-white deck. You're like, oh, let's just... Let's just kill them. They they're going to do something stupid with Martyr's Bond or something. I don't know. Let's just get rid of them. I, I don't even know. I can't tell what counts as stupid kill them versus stupid don't kill them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there's basically with the exception of very very few lists, every deck has some point where they're just going to do something, and if they're left unfettered, they just win the game. And even if they say well, they don't do that, do. they do. Yeah, if no one else is winning the game first, or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And if if your deck doesn't do that, what are you even doing playing commander, right? Well, one could argue that the reason you play commander is that you just want to sit around the table and and push magic cards around with your friends. In which case, there is an argument to be made making a deck that extends the game actually can't win. And nobody can kill you, right? Which is what Rashad does when he plays Commander. <laughs> he builds. He has a he has a five color deck that really doesn't have a great game plan for winning, but it's incredibly resilient and frustrating to play against. And hits this like sweet spot in the middle of the game where it's just impervious to everything. 
but it doesn't actually win. But you can't win either. It's very trollish. It's kind of brilliant. So it could just include ways to win. It just doesn't. It does not. I mean, it has some. I mean, there are some ways, but the reality is it's it's generally not trying to do that. It is, it is you I think you would actually love this deck as a work of art because it's an astral slide deck. And so he has no cards in the deck that cost three or less other than astral slide and other astral slide. And then Ken has multiple ways to cascade into astral slide. And then every cycling card imaginable that you could throw into a five color commander deck. Right. And then you, but then you get a deck yourself, right? You have to cycle all the time. Sure. It doesn't really come to that somehow. I think usually his plan is to get people to quit in frustration which has been very effective for him. I mean, I'd definitely be like, dude, you got to win. You've only got so many cards. <laughs> you're, on the, oh. you're on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move ahead to red cards now. And we'll talk about Bolt Hound as, you know, keeping note of dogs available in standard. So this is a haste creature on turn three, 2R for 2-2. Two, two. And whenever Bolt Hound attacks, other creatures you control get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. Right. So if you go turn two Pack Hound, turn three Bolt Hound, attack for six, can nothing can die. Yeah. That's an attack. It's not yeah. a wonderful attack, but it's an attack. Yeah, well, you could have started with a dog on turn one, right? Yeah, so now you're attacking for nine if you've got, like, the Faithful Hound or whatever it was called. Yeah. So... Yeah, I doesn't. If you have to go here and play two colors to go here, we're not there. Okay. Right in terms of here and there, like this is the kind of card that like, if you need exactly this effect in like a mono red style strategy, sometimes it's enough because you got a bunch of like leadies. But I don't think they play. Two, I don't think you can play two colors and do this. Okay. I guess unless you're generating a bunch of tokens somehow, there has to be tokens. Right, if you can let the dogs out, plural, somehow, right? Right. Then we've got more business. But like, I want to see serious work. So far, not yet. You you want a hoardling outburst for dogs before you're thinking about a yeah. red white dog deck with this and pack leader? Yeah, two for two or three for three. Yeah. Um, Chandra's magmite is also spoiled, but doesn't do anything, so we're not going to sure. even bother. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Chandra though. Chandra, Heart of Fire. Three RR, so it's a five mana Chandra. Five loyalty. Plus one, discard your hand. Then exile the top three cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may play cards exiled this way. So not until the end of your next turn, which is where a lot of these red cards have been templated lately. It's until the end of this turn. Right, so unless it's ridiculously late in the game. You're not activating that first ability on the turn you play Sean. Right, right. You it's are at another, least waiting until next turn. Yeah, it's got another plus one, which is Chandra Heart of Fire deals two damage to any target. So can hit a Planeswalker, can hit a creature, can hit an opponent. And uh, and then it's, it's ultimate is minus nine. Search your graveyard and library 
for any number of red and or source red instant and or sorcery cards, exile them, shuffle your library. You may cast them this turn. Add six R. So skewer the critics, skewer the critics, skewer the critics, skewer the critics. <laughs> right. That's 12. Any number, right? So dock to make sure I can enable that. That's 14 and I spent the mana. And now I have to do six more damage somehow with the rest of my uh, my lands. I'll manage. <laughs> but this is this is one of the best ultimates, right? Because this ultimate is actually just your deck, right? If you're playing a bunch of fire cards, like it is just literally you are dead, right? Uh, By the way, I mean, there's a reasonable chance that if you got this to in a position where you're able to ultimate it, that you've you've done eight damage with Chandra, even. Very possible. I'm just you know pointing out that that's not even. Um, the only way this fails to kill them is if you've exiled so many cards in the way up and you've somehow <laughs> lost money with your burn spells that you no longer have enough of them. Sure. But, you know, so make sure to cast those spells if you, if you reveal them, guys, that you're ready. Uh, but I think there's a lot to like here, right? It starts at six. You get to do, a sh you get to shock on the spot while good ball ticking up and you have the option to, to draw three. But Compare this to Nessa. It does, I don't. It doesn't feel like it compares favorably, right? Right, because like Nessa is, I immediately get a three-three, so I immediately get some value, like more value than a two, more value than two damage to turn one of my lands into an untapped three-three with vigilance. And then if I untap with Nessa, it's obviously much more value than being able to discard my hand to exile the top three. Right, like drawing three cards a turn. Yeah, I'll take over the game. But, like, compared to, I get another 3-3, three, three, and I have doubled mana. Right, so this is just, if I race for this card, if I get Chandra out quickly, I'm just not that excited, right? Chandra is just, like, basically just putting them on a clock, right? Just if I ultimate, I win. But do you really ultimate this and lose that often? I mean, occasionally, but it's an, it ultimate an 8. If you can miss out from 9... And minus eight Nissa. So this is caught, you know, at the same turn, you'd minus eight Nissa. You would minus nine Chandra, you almost never lose, right? Because right. you keep Nissa around and you get to keep plus one afterwards. And you have several lands probably to, to keep immortal. So it has to be like I'm red. So I very much want to do this. I just doesn't feel like it's good enough. It feels like it's, you know, a very, very good four mana planeswalker, but you're charging five. Yeah, every, all the Planeswalkers feel like they might be like one mana, with, with the exception of Basri Cat, feel like they're like one mana bumped. And Jafari, I think, if you got to plus one and then plus one again, in general, for three mana, would be absurd. Yes. I think Jafari is like... them from making Jafari absurd in the past. Oh, sure. Like, I mean, like I said, like, I'm not sure it's better than Jafari three in play. But it would be absurd at three mana because the thirty-three is absurd, right? Uh, let, let's talk about Chandra's Incinerator, by the way. Five R for a six-six creature elemental, but yep. this creature costs X less to cast, where X is the total number of non-combat damage dealt to your opponents this turn. Trample, and then whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent. Chandra's Incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls. So this, all, this card does a lot. It also doesn't. 
right? Like it's it's still just a band slayer angel. Right. At the end of the day. Cause like you're not really going to be able to do meaningful stuff with it the turn you play it very often. Well, the meaningful stuff that you get to do with it is double spell, right? You get to put him to play for R or R1 after doing something, yeah. But this sort of plays to people's worst instincts in deck building, right? Like, this causes people to end play. It causes them to play, like, lots of skewer the critics to your face, basically. Sure. Right, people want to do, like, shock you, skewer the critics you, play Chandra's Incinerator on two or something. And yeah, you took five and I have a six-six transport, but you're at three cards. <laughs> and now I play Teferi and bounce it. Right. Maybe. Or I die to Doom Blades of various types. Right? Et cetera, et cetera. Like there are so many things I can do here in the today's right, I get, world. I guess the, the combo though is, you know, Chandra Incinerator with Chandra down, you get to, you know, have some pretty, you know, you have like a four damage machine gun to any target, right? Creature or Planeswalker. Except that you kind of don't. I think that we have to be realistic about how many cards you can play that are not Chandra's Incinerator and are not ways to damage your opponent for cheap in the Incinerator deck. Sure. And the answer is not that many. You can play some creatures, right? Like, to start you off. But, like, cards that aren't cheap creatures aren't burn spells, and aren't the incinerator, how many of them do you actually have you're trying to make this happen, right? right? The answer is very few, like, realistically. This is, this is a card, I feel like, in 5th edition era magic would have felt insane, right? Well, yeah. You'd be like, I'm going to pay 5 mana, I'm going to Earthquake for 4. And then I'm going to pay 2 mana and play this. I mean, even if you just paid six mana for this and then just started giving fireballs to their head, like, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like, let's not get overly unexcited. Like, this card is great in oh, that world. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I misread the last paragraphs. So the source needs to deal non-creature damage to an opponent, then it, right, and then it deals it to a creature or planeswalker, so. Right, which okay. is nice. Again, the card is nice. You know, it's got, it's got some talent, but, you know, I mean... Evan Erd was always uh, on Twitter being all like, you know, kid in a candy store. Yay, this card is so cool. We can play it on turn three. And then, of course, my response was, well, if, if we're just kids in candy stores, why aren't we playing two of them? It's not like we can. <laughs> and Eric's, and then Ephra is like, well, I killed your one one. I don't know your cards work. And I'm like, dude, I had to stop crushing dreams. I too wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, you know, kind of a weird compliment, right? Like, in its own way. But I, I just, I don't think this actually happens, right? I think it's a, it's a really cool card that will make some casual players very, very happy. Sure. And I like that. But it will mostly cause players to build bad decks that don't do anything. Okay. They're just bad. How do you feel about double vision? Aside from a sudden urge to sing Foreigner. I don't even have that. Is that like a Cardassian? Um, <laughs> weird picture. Um, it's five mana. In exchange for that, each turn you get one additional spell. 
I mean, we live in a world in which it's weird when you play Shark Typhoon as opposed to Cycling. When you play what? Dark Typhoon. When you play sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Cycling right. This is a lot of investment for a card that's going to do nothing to turn it play most of the time. Right. Yeah, you might opt afterwards or something, but like realistically speaking, most of the time you're just going to say go. Right. And then after that, sure, you get to copy your stuff. But I mean, think about Lucky Clover for a minute, right? Lucky Clover's a good card. But it's not like a great card, even in the deck where, like the deck where you build around it so that it works on everything, it's good, right? You play it, you're happy, you draw it. Not the best thing ever. And it costs two. And I get this thing works with like more exciting stuff, like an explosion or whatever. But are we really gonna be able to invest this much? I don't think we are. I think this card is like commander players have some fun. Sure. Or, or we have a conversation with Alan Comer and he's like, I met Mythic with my double vision deck and nobody else in the universe can win with it other than Alan. Well, if you don't have the list and don't believe that list is worth playing, you can't win with the deck. That's just <laughs> how it works. Um, Gadrak the Crown Scourge. So this is a three mana 5-4, so 2R for a 5-4 flying. Gadrak can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts. At the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each non-token creature that died this turn. Right. So the obvious question is, am I trying to attack with this before, like, four of my creatures die? <laughs> or am I just waiting for the treasures to accumulate? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the problem with dragons in general, right? Like, they always want that gold, but they never want to do anything with it. Right. Like, am I going to put this in the Witch's Oven deck and, like, maybe I have a Witch's Oven or two and then, like, I sacrifice my Cauldron Familiar a couple turns? Then... That's certainly I a home for this, right? The problem is, a 5-4 Flyer for 2-RR would be, like, pretty medium. <laughs> right? So you're, you're, you're saving one mana. Right? In exchange for that, you got to do all of this work. So, if you were actually planning to have, like, four artifacts in play anyway, that's one thing. But, like, there's, there's no... There, there's no affinity-style, like, artifact deck right now. But we're not sure. remotely... Man, people, people just hate blocking. blocking. Blocking has no value in magic. I mean, does this thing even block? Like, it's 5-4. <laughs> block a little... Well, we want the block that actually matters, right? right. I, I, wonder, I wonder how much how much better would this card be with Flash? Somewhat better. I mean, look at the wall, right? You get what I'm saying. You get to eat something at one point. I, I can see there being like strategies for like you know my sideboard is to bring in this and block and eventually attacks or something, but right. You know, it's going to be a going to be a stretch, right? At best. All right, well, let's talk about some green cards here. Uh, we start with a reprint of Azusa Lost But Seeking. So this is, this is a, a kind of card you have a, a pretty long history with in Magic, the ability to play extra lands per turn. Card, this goes what, back to Kamigawa, right? Yes, this card can be out of hand pretty quickly. 
It is in none of the Song of Creation colors. <laughs> you can play Experimental Frenzy. Ooh. Um, that is a thing to note. Ooh, I, I have noted it, by the way. <laughs> well, normally those decks don't work, but it's worth saying. Yeah. Um, also note okay. that I don't always care if they work. <laughs> Just note that. Oh, <laughs> right? sure. There's potential here, but it needs some big payoffs, right? Like, you need to be accelerating something that really, really matters if you get there. You need, like, weird lands you have to play more than once. You need, you know, a Horn of Greed. You need, like, something somewhere. Right. I mean, the Horn might be in this set, right? Oh, my God, that would be insane. I mean, I would be very excited. Uh, Yeah, Azuz is a card that has shined... Best in like the Karoo decks. Right. More, than, more decks, than any place else. Right. Because the combination of you can tutor for a green creature and get Azusa was a lot of it. Right. And also because of Karoo, right? Playing the extra two lands is actually useful. Whereas the standard, you know, I play this on turn three or turn two. I play two extra lands. Then I buy all lands. So. I didn't really get that much value out of it beyond what one extra land would have been, and I paid three mana for it. Right. So it just doesn't do that much. I mean, you can try to, like, just go off, but hard. Uh, cultivate, I will say, the new Cultivate art is cool enough that I'm, I'm down with it. Now this, is this the new art, or is this the original art? Yeah, but there's, there's also an alternate art Cultivate in the set. Oh, okay. They're just gorgeous. Okay, I it haven't is, seen that yet. Yeah, yeah. It is a beautiful, beautiful. The picture of like a it's a full art, got a picture of a woman centered around like making stuff, and it's just like it's my it's my jam. Like it's just you know right. it's gorgeous while this card is kind of so I will accept the upgrade. Okay. <laughs> I, I I'm a sucker for the old art. I was very happy to see it. Um but let's yeah, talk I, about I, I'm fine with it. I just you know it's not I don't know, it's not iconic for me. Let's talk about right. Elder Gargaroth. Yeah. So Let's also talk about cleaning up. Well. Let's talk about cleaning up magic templating, by the way. Yeah. Let's just call this Vrample. Right? Marshall has talked for a long time about just condensing flying trample to flample. Let's <laughs> condense vigilance reach trample to Vrample. We'll all know what it means pretty quickly. How many, words. how many creatures have Vrample? Well, you know, we could make a set with Vrample Matters. If it doesn't matter, we're on cards. Um, so yeah vigilant reach trample six six three gg for a beast uh whenever it attacks or blocks you get to either create a beast token that's a three three gain three life or draw a card i want to be a moon drifter when i grow up but i hope i get the next turn so i can become a mull drifter (laughs) please let me live Please let me attack, please. Mommy, you're not letting me. <laughs> uh, so you're you're not. I'm gonna assume you're not a, a huge fan of this card. I mean, look, six six vigilance reach trample for five mana with an upside. Like, I'm not totally against it. It's just a matter of how excited am I to play this on turn three, right? That's the Kind of the question I ask when I see five drops these days. Sure. Right? If I get this out on turn three, 
how excited am I? Well, it attacks for six and then it attacks for nine. Not the worst, but it can get bounced by Teferi or Brazen Borrower. And it can get shattered. And not much goes wrong if it does. So it's a lot of mana to pay for this. I mean, if you're just playing like good stuff green, it might be one of your best choices for five drop. But yeah, I think it's just worse than Nessa. Right. I think subjectively speaking, you're not going to play this over in a suit shakes the world pretty much ever, no matter what you're up to, because you'd rather just get on with it and go wide and not have to worry about a lot of the ways this card just dies. But I'd like to be wrong. Right. Yeah, to be wrong. Interesting. It's. I mean, it's an interesting card, certainly. But, um, you know, we we already have, like, it doesn't have vigilance. We have a five mana trampler in the last set, right? Six six, trample for five, right? To R R G, whatever that card's called, I forget. It generates a six six. Yeah. That generates a six six. Or you know something approaching a six six if it if it gets through, and I've never seen anyone even sniff it playing that in constructed. No, I don't. And these think cards so. are not that different. I mean, they work even if they're both five drops. It's not crazy to put them together, right? To well, play so, like you play dips on turn three, and then on turn four you slap the other one down, triggers on all tramplers, and now the game's just completely over if they don't craft or whatever, right? Or kill you on the spot. But, yeah, I just, what's sad to me about this card is it's both not good enough and too good at the same time. <laughs> like, it's not good enough because I can't actually play it. It's not good enough to play. But I also really don't want this much value available at this price. <laughs> right. It's, like, it's, it's not good enough to play, but when someone plays it against me, it's going to be brutal. <laughs> right. It's so <laughs> effing dumb. <laughs> right? Like, like, it's just... Yeah, there's no world in which I'm happy this is... I mean, I'm not happy about this, right? Like, I'm, like, a little bit happy people have the fun card to play, but, like, it just... This is emblematic of why we need a Arcadian boxes, right? Like, the fact that this card is not good enough. Or, like, even that I can think it might not be good enough, right? That I can, like, dismiss it and maybe be wrong, but I think not be wrong. You, you can see a window where you are wrong, though, right? I can see a narrow window where I'm wrong, sure. It wouldn't be that shocking. You know, I'd, I'd be less surprised by Fierce Impact seeing a bunch of play, and I'd be pretty surprised at that, too. But you never know. Fierce Impact has, has, I think, seen some play in the past. Yeah, that was a different world where you had a lot more time for that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, I mean, there, there'd have to be a, you know, a six-drop... That was like, I just want to drop this every game. Oh, right. I don't want. And I don't know what that would be. And you, you kind of, like, what you also really want is something inevitable, like uh, like an Eternal Dragon for Fierce Empath. You know, something that you can then continue to get value with. And they have an example of a card that like, I played at a Legacy portion of Worlds as my kill condition. And I went 5-1 and one and was confident I'd played the right card. And these days, like, would be completely unplayable in standard. Which, Eternal Dragon? Yeah. That's funny. It's completely unplayable, right? Like, there's no way you would pop 
Sure. I just I go slow. All right, let's let's talk about Joel Real, Juan Vuli Recluse, a card you mentioned earlier. Uh, you nominated this as your mall drifter. 1G yeah. for a 1-2 legendary human uh, and druid. Uh, when you, whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 cat token. Uh, 4GG until end of turn. Creatures you control have base power and toughness XX, where X is the number of cards in your hand. Yeah. So basically, turn three, right? You play this, you cycle. You get yourself a 2-2. Two, two. Then, you know, if they don't stop it, then you just do that again every turn. Sure. The rest of the game. So essentially, this is another enabler. The problem is it's legendary, so you can't double up, and it's re, which you didn't otherwise have any use for. And my guess is it's not going to make the cut doing that. And I don't think there are that many other things that do the thing you want. Like, would you play this in a, like... Wounded Circumation style deck, question mark? Right, where you... How often do you draw a second card each turn? Okay, good question. And could you build your deck so that you do? Right, it's not that... Is it that costly to build your deck with a couple of... A bunch of second one cards that have other uses or something to try and get there, to play ops, to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Often grow spiral or two easy ways to get a two-two out of this. But I don't think it's good enough there. But, like, this Kirby speaks to, like, there's a lot of value town here, right? She's got some value town. Yeah. I mean, cer certainly a sweet card. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with it. Um, I'm wondering if we're going to have to see lots of cards with one bully. <laughs> <laughs> I think there have been, like, four or five in the history of the game. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about Primal Might. So... Primal Might's a rare fight card. It's XG. Target creature you control gets X plus X plus X until end of turn. Then it fights up to one target creature you don't control. So at G, this is just prey upon, right? Yeah. Right? I can still just have my 3-3 three, three fight your 2-2. Two, two, I win. But this scales throughout the game to give a bonus is... Is this a card, the reason I want to ask specifically, is this a card you could see in your green deck? No. No? Not even with Sir Farron? Make Sir Farron a 5-5, five, five, kill something, get in for 11 with two creatures? X is tough. I mean, yeah. Basically, we have Thrash, we have Ram Through, both are very good. They're one directional effects. Right. This is a two directional effect at sorcery speed. I hate both of those halves that statement. Right? <laughs> pretty bad. Both pretty bad. So it's not that I can see. If you're living in a world in which it's mostly safe to do this at sorcery speed, somehow, in the amount of you care about. And then you actually get to hit them with the, with the newly big creature. Maybe? In some... I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't see it. It just... This is not the kind of card that actually works. But we have a lot of experience here. Yeah. Speaking of experience, Quarian Dryad, a card 
know, we've mentioned Alan a couple times. Certainly the card that made him pretty famous as a Magic deck builder. Card I, I, I love and have played it in various times that it's been reprinted. Um, is this a card that has any... I, I feel like just by it being put to uncommon status kind of makes it feel like this is a card whose time has passed it. Yeah, this card feels like it's there kind of to taunt old-timers. Yeah. That's how right? I feel. I feel taunted. Yeah. Like, remember when this was good? <laughs> remember when this won a GP? Remember when you, like, got this to 4-4 four four and you felt like you got value? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, probably not. Uh, a couple of multicolored uncommons. Let's move. On. Let's go ahead to Ugin the Spirit Dragon, because Ugin is a. That's a that's a card we've seen get a lot of play, uh, whenever it's been legal. Uh, where where does this fit into standard right now? Eight is a lot. It is right, definitely more than enough, yes. It, it, it's, it's more than seven. A lot more than seven. Right? And I think that's important, right? Because seven is doable. So what, you could almost say before, like, well, maybe you could take the spot that Age of Treachery was holding in some of these decks and replace it with you. If you weren't searching for it, if you were just casting it for value, which I was. At least one case. The problem is the the two into four into seven doesn't work, right? You're one short. And so you can't play a turn four Ugin in any reasonable way. It's not that there isn't a way in standard. I mean, there is. It's just not going to actually happen. So it's not very often. Which means you're going to have to earn it. But still, like, obviously there are situations in which this is going to be just awesome, right? Just get rid of your board. Everything that isn't an artifact or Mr. Crow Serpent just leaves. All right, just sweet. Right. I mean, we have, we have multiple ramp spells right now in the format, right? We have both Cultivate and the... Uh, put two lands into play. Cycling. Migration path. Migration path, yeah. Migration path was my biggest miss in my review of Ikoria, right? I had Luca at number one behind, like, the companions at Give Me a Break. And that would <laughs> be very, very strongly right. But then I had Migration Path, and I'm holding out hope that I will be vindicated later, right? That... <laughs> Basically, it just wasn't good enough at the time, but like that card is just amazing, and we will figure out this over time. And Ugin is definitely encouraging. Right. It doesn't quite get you there, right? It's like you, you get to seven, not eight, but Ugin's really good. So, maybe. Like, certainly... You go, Ugin you go turn, to, turn yeah. to cultivate off of a goose or a... Um, Arboreal Grazer. Turn three Migration Path. Where does that leave you? 
I mean, that gets you there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, if you, a, that's a hard draw to beat. I mean, it's obviously a, a, a God draw. Yeah, right? If you, if you were to go one mana XL into XL into four mana XL, you can okay. get two. And uh, I mean, I was using player cleansing in that ball. It was also very good win. Yeah. Right. Even better, but even harder. Um, you know, in some ways. But yeah. I also think this would have been a very interesting card to have in the format before because it would have potentially justified a bunch of your Uran decks being able to get out from under gigantic where they just couldn't. Like one of the reasons why I liked my Yorian deck was I had four planar concepts. Right. Which basically no one runs. So people would set up boards where they thought they couldn't lose because it's like, okay, I have a Luka and I have Major Treachery and I'm threatening Yorian and there's nothing you can do. I'm just going to steal everything. It's like, no, I can Yeah, I'm just going to start this game back to zero here. Yeah. All right. All that time I spent like just randomly putting lands into play and you thought I was just joking around. Like, no. But yeah, I'm curious to see what this card can do. Kind of fun to be back. Probably good. Yeah. yeah All right, let's talk, let's talk about some artifacts. Chromatic Orrery. So if we didn't, uh, we needed some other stage of ramping, <laughs> we could ramp at seven to uh, up to 12. Can we take her for this? Uh, I don't know if there's any tinkers in the format. No, no, in vintage. Probably. Right, and the theory that it, it now turns Tinker into uh, three mana, get five mana as an option. With Sharp. now, with and then you have full faltering for the rest of the, the rest of the game, which is kind of nice. Right. Yeah, and then if you voltate key this, sweet. All right, I'm in. Yeah. So there's that. Um, if we're catching this for seven mana. You know, that's less exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, not 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 a super exciting seven mana card. Do you, I mean, not, not a card you expect to see played in standard? And if your turn four is play chromatic orrery, you'd better have a follow-up with that five mana, and then you'd have to have a plan afterwards, and seven mana is a lot for this. So I don't think so. Yeah, I could go... Uh, chromatic Ori into Niv Mizzet. Um, I mean, that's exciting, but am I going to play a giant payoff artifact in my Niv Mizzet deck that I can't ever hit? <laughs> right, that's fair. Like, if, I keep, if, I need, if I need to play the Ori before the Niv Mizzet to play the Niv Mizzet, why am I even Niv Mizzet it, right? Yeah, of course. I do get to draw five next turn, which is kind of sweet, but right. eh, yeah, I don't think so. All right. Uh, Maze Mind Tome, two mana for an artifact. Put a tap, put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome, scry one, two and tap, put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome, draw a card. When there are four or more counters on Maze Mind Tome, exile it if you do gain four, four life. So the theory, like, scry four, gain four with options, right? But slowly. Yeah. Maybe. I know. I, I hate this card. I, I mean, I, I can, I, I've certainly seen card. There's windows where cards like this are have found a home, but 
don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's fine in some sort of like grindy control deck is something to do early. You can always bounce it rather than with your Teferi rather than have to sacrifice it and reset it if you want you to. I You can make the argument that in some matchups, this is Scry 4 again, 4 for 2 mana. And right. that's a pretty good deal when you don't care about card advantage because you already have it handled. In other, sure. formats, in other formats, it's a draw 4 in slow motion. Yeah. And one of those is probably good. And then you have to ferry. Right. Right. I can see I can see it being a reasonable card. I wouldn't rule it out. I'd try it. Yeah, I might try one or I'd try like, you know, a random copy in my light control deck to see if it does anything useful. Yeah. Sure. Um Solemn Simulacrum. Where does this card how does this card hold up to today's standards? You know, one of the most impactful invitational cards of all time. Yeah, I still like, you know, I don't want to only stand up for crest, right? Like, if you win an invitational, that card is you. And this is not quite as much of a transformation as the previous one. I mean, like, I see the resemblance, right? But I do think they should respect the association. Right, and certainly since they're respecting that model going forward, right? Now, since world champions get essentially invitational cards, you would think that they would find a way to um, honor the past invitational winners. Yeah, unless he's just refusing use of his likeness or trying to charge me or something. I don't see why you can't just print a new portrait of him. Right, right. Right? Like, there's nothing... Him being Jens Thorin for people who don't... Yeah, uh, who don't who don't know the Invitational winner who designed Solemn Simulacrum and sort of his sort of dour countenance sort of spawned that idea of sad robot around Solemn Simulacrum. Right, and now it's just sort of robot, right? Like it's yeah. not sad, it's not happy, it's just solemn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and as a card, it, time has passed by. Like the two used to be. That having a 2 2 in play for a while actually did something besides chump block. And it used to be that, like, grinding people out slowly like this mattered. Like, to me, like, this isn't, this isn't the fit to be bad. Right? It's like the Query and Dryad. Yeah. It's sort of there to show us that this card is, we can give you this card and it doesn't even do anything. Right. You know, in case you wanted it for a commander deck or something. Well, yeah, you definitely want it for your competitors. It gets played all the time in that format. Um, let's talk about another card that harkens back to an older card. Let's talk about Spark Hunter Master Core. Uh, three mana for a three four. Also, kind of harkens back to like Steel Golem in terms of uh, ca- you know sort of casting cost, the power toughness. Uh, artifact creature Master Core as an additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card, but it has protection from Planeswalkers. It has one colon Spark Hunter Master Core deals one damage to target Planeswalker. Pretty exciting ability. Three colon Spark Hunter Master Core gains indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, the flavor text on this is like, how hard are you trying? <laughs> Be hard, man. 
too hard. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, three mana to get instructed. So much mana. Three, four for three mana is so small now. Well, three, four for, for three mana and a card. Yeah, and I didn't even say that, right? And yeah. the card. So I think that, like, this is a card that you, like, sad play in reanimator decks because you want the discard. That's where this card lives. Right? The decks that want to play, like, four mana, five mana reanimation spells and, like, actively want to discard into the card. Like, will be able, will then be able to play, will be willing to accept a three, four for three mana with, like, some weird abilities in order to get that. But, like, if you don't like that, if you don't actively like that first line, discard a card, forget it. <laughs> okay. Even though that, like, one mana to, that you can pay repeatedly to deal one damage to a Planeswalker isn't, isn't at all, like, something that you start looking at ways to make that work for you? I don't... Planeswalkers, first of all, give you value when they come into play. And, like, there need to be a deck that, like, was trying to grind you out with Planeswalkers where it couldn't deal with them. And this just took over the game. So basically, you're in your in your example. You've played a planeswalker. You've gotten value from your planeswalker immediately. You're essentially up a card one way or another, and then I play this and I'm down a card. And so where where that we're that far apart on the card advantage advantage scale, and then even if I kill your planeswalker, I've just I'm just so far behind. I eventually, after so much mana, so much time, managed to do something. Even in the worlds where you play this on turn four and kill like a Teferi on one, you just don't, it doesn't matter, right? No. Yeah. That's sad. I always, you know, anytime you say the word Mastercore, I want to be excited. Yeah, I know. I want to be excited too. But I mean, what would have happened if they just printed Mastercore here, right? Sure. Nothing would have happened. We'd yeah. be talking about how bad it is. I almost feel like you want to take the name Mastercore off of this and just call it Spark Hunter. <laughs> like, just don't don't get me excited with with flavor and then not pay it off. I'm trying to remember what the last I mean there there have been how many master cores have there been? Just Razor Main, Molten Tail, Lesser, Spark Hunter. So Razor Main was really like, I think the last one that saw some play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not excited when I see master core anymore because I mentally think like bygone era of creatures that used to be good. Right. I remember when I'm like, I was playing for a slot of the U.S. national team, and I like got a Mastercore to play, and then I won the game because Mastercore was better than their deck. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a different time, wasn't it? Yes, very different time. 
Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of time, we've been uh, we've been talking about this for a couple hours here. So we we want the longest running aspect of the Top Eight Magic podcast to refer to the duration of its role in the history of magic, and not necessarily to uh, crossing into the three hour uh, runtime of an episode. So I think we're gonna cut things off here. Zvi, you're gonna be playing in the Players Tour this weekend. Will you be streaming or what, what will you be doing in terms of um, right. people's ability to follow your progress with that? I, I've had some, I moved um, out to Warwick and I've had some trouble like getting my setup recreated. Some wires are missing. I tried to replace it and I got the wrong wire. I have to try again. But that's not, basically, I, what I decided to do in general is I am going to do an analysis stream when it's worth it rather than do a live stream like there's plenty of people to watch i'm sure who will stream with some delay during the event uh and you should watch one of them and then if i go on a run and i decide it's it went well and it's worth it then when i can give it my full attention instead of having to focus on the pro tour i will play the replay and then talk about it with people in real time i think it's a much better experience I've done this with the top eight of other people's matches before, and I've had a really good experience with it. And I might do that also, uh, if that seems like a good idea. Right. But basically the plan is if I, if I make a run into day two, right, and I go deep, certainly make top eight, then I'll do an analysis stream of my results, unless I forgot to hit record. But I, I should remember to hit record. Okay. Uh, as I, for me, I, I'll be on the air this weekend, starting at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time, uh, doing uh, playing host actually uh, for two legs of the players tour this weekend. So Saturday and Sunday, I'm uh, very excited to do something not in a Gleamax t-shirt and Matt Nash shorts for the first time in three months. So, uh, <laughs> you know, can't do anything about the hair, but can actually uh, put on a nice shirt and feel good about that. So looking forward to it. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, this has been Zvi Moshowitz, the Magic the Yelling Hall of Famer, and your host, Brian David Marshall, for Top 8 Magic. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, bye.